0: Welcome to another episode of Live Bullions. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hey, everybody. Uh, this week, we have Guyan from Facebook, uh, Oculus. Um, Guyan has also worked at a bunch of different places uh, in the games industry, including Chrome Studios here in Adelaide. Um, welcome, Guyan. Thanks. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> so something we always like to start off is... How did you sort of get your intro into game development? You oh, start? Okay. Uh,
1: so yeah, I, I studied uh, computer science uh, at Adelaide Uni, um, and I've always known I'd kind of been into games, like I always played games as a kid. And so even kind of during uni and even like during high school, I used to just make my own little games in Game Maker, just like small things, um, just for so fun. And um, after, after uni, I kind of I wasn't sure what to do. Like, I didn't. I had like a few job interviews at kind of different companies that seemed kind of boring, and like I kind of failed them because like I wasn't really interested in them. And um, eventually, I found this group at um, at Tafe SA that were doing. Um, they were doing uh, like this mod for Half Life Two. Um, it was like this survival horror mod that they were building. It's like a bunch of artists over there, and so I joined up with them for. Uh, like for them, it was part of their like coursework. But for me, I just ended up like working with them like full time for like six months, just like trying to learn the source engine and trying to build, uh, like work on this mod. And yeah, it took uh, it took quite a few months of just like I-, I didn't even know how to use like the source engine or how to use like I barely knew C at that point, and I was just like trying to build gameplay, and that that engine was like a real struggle at that point. But um, yeah, eventually built a few kind of custom weapons and stuff, and yeah, built out this, this mod, it's called uh, Mentality. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, kind of a cool little survival horror game. And uh, we showed that at Avcon, I, I can't remember what year it was. It was probably like 2009, no, it must've been before that. Yeah, just a while ago. And uh, yeah, at the Avcon demo, uh, Dr. Mike and a couple of people at Chrome just came by and saw it and like ended up meeting them and uh, ended up getting an interview at Chrome from that. And yeah, ended up getting that job. So that's how, that's how I got my start in the industry.
0: Wow, so this is just from a mod, just from a Half-Life 2 mod.
1: Yeah, yeah, just from like a, basically like a passion project, it was, yeah, it was a lot of hours on that project, just, uh, I remember working on stuff, it was really unhealthy to be honest, like, (laughs) so like 30 hours straight, non-stop coding, just trying to get stuff working and then I'd like fall asleep and wake up again and code for another like 12 hours and yeah, probably not the best way (laughs) to be health-wise, but yeah, just definitely got a lot done, but yeah. Can't, can't do that kind of, those kind of hours yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and yeah, I feel that. So, well, sorry, when you were at Chrome, was that, uh, to Dr. Mike, Dan Thorsland and, uh, Phil, mm-hmm. Phil Mays yeah. uh, together at the same time?
1: Yeah. Those three were on the, yeah. In my interview when I, when I joined and, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Like Dr. Mike, I was reporting to him directly and, uh, yeah, I was sitting, sitting next to Phil and just like trying to absorb as much as I could, at, like, because it was my first job in the industry. I was, I was, just, I was super happy to be there. Um, there was a lot of people there who were kind of, like, they were pretty happy, but then some of them were kind of jaded, old kind of <laughs> folks in the industry. So it was, like, I feel like I just come in and uh, I just tried to, tried to learn as much as I could as quickly as I could. Um, working on, uh, yeah, initially it was uh, Star Wars, like Clone Wars, Republic Heroes, which was like it pretty it wasn't it wasn't a great but it was a Star Wars game, so I was like I was super happy but it wasn't the best Star Wars game around but uh, that was my first, first credit on that game. Um and we built the Wii version um in uh in Adelaide. Uh like where the I think the PlayStation uh yeah, the PS was it PS two and Xbox uh, yeah, like one of those. I can't even remember the the generation, but yeah, it must have been the, the Wii version in, in Adelaide and yeah, we built kind of custom controls for the, the Wii remote and yeah, it was It was fun, yeah.
0: Was it sort of challenging? There's got to be some... Was it challenging working on that? That's so nice. On the the Wii, on like with that limited hard, like, you know, going from, say, Half-Life working on a computer or whatever, then you're going and jumping to, you know, a Wii which has way limited hardware, I guess.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it was definitely, I think the bigger issue for me was like just getting used to the development process and the development tools and... Like, yeah, random stuff like that. Even just the code base, like, jumping into a totally new code base uh, after working on PC was, like, yeah, a bit of a challenge. But the hardware limitations, could, so my um, my area that I focus on is more kind of gameplay and uh, and interaction. And so the hardware limitations don't really get you that, that much um, in there compared to working on, you know, the visuals and stuff like that. So I didn't really... That limit too much. My like a lot of the challenges that I was having was yeah, even just working with the Wii remotes and things like that, and understanding how to build new gameplay for for the for that new kinds of controllers and things. But um, yeah, it was definitely yeah, definitely really really crazy in those first years just learning how to do everything.
0: And this is <laughs> like coming straight out of uni, Game right? development is different.
2: Oh, we keep, we keep. oh my god, <laughs> Costa, <laughs> we are gonna have a problem. I'm going to take this outside. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to... Um, no, I think the lag's on my end. Um, I mean, because we've heard some, some of the stories from uh, Phil and Dan about, like, the cost of... Because you're running with custom engines and the cost of, you know, putting out a demo and something. There was some story about the stress of it and I think Dr. Mike got a detached retina or something like that. Or, like... There's got to be some stories around there from that time that you got. Oh,
1: it's, to be honest, it's a, it's a bit of a blur from my end. Like I can, I can barely remember a lot of those, a lot of those days cause it's so, it was so much like so many long hours, especially, uh, yeah, there was a lot of crunch back in those days, not, not the best, but, um, yeah, uh, I remember a lot of late nights just fixing bugs and yeah, eating takeout in the office, but, um, yeah, yeah I can't. I can't remember I can't think of any I don't know, I'll have to think of some stories off the top of my head, but <laughs> yeah, it was
2: um, Hey, if they if they pop up as we go along, you just cut through and just be like, Hey, here's one I remember. <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it was it was a good time working with those guys, so yeah. What was sort of the yeah, uh,
0: like- key takeaways like coming from, from Chrome? Like what what did you take from from your time there into the work you went on to after? Um
1: Oh, there's so many. There's so much... Yeah, there's so much learning that you have to do so quickly. Uh, Like, when you're starting, like, in the industry, it's just how to... Just the basics of how to, yeah, like, h- how to ship games. Like, I, like the cycle of the, the process of shipping something. And, like, back back then, it was all kind of box titles as well. So, you know, you'd have to ship something. And the week you, you couldn't do any patches on there as well, so you'd have mm-hmm. to ship something, and it's just out mm-hmm. there. But, uh, yeah, it was... Um, the basics of just working with with people and um, yeah, understanding yeah, like the, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of learning back back in those days. Um,
0: yeah, tons. And from there, you yeah. went on. I saw on your LinkedIn, you went on to work on a game in Canada. I think it was uh, NBA Baller Beats. Yeah, had had, had that happen.
1: So that was a crazy. Yeah, that was. That's a crazy game. That's like, yeah, it's super interesting. Um, but yeah, once the once the games industry in South Australia and in Australia kind of collapsed after the the financial crisis, <laughs> and like you know Phil had gone off to make like you know start his thing with, with mobile games, but um, yeah, the whole industry in, in Australia was kind of suffering. And so I was looking for jobs in Australia, and I didn't really uh, I couldn't really find anything. And so I decided to search everywhere. And uh, these guys in Canada, HB Studios, was they were the first ones to give me an offer. But I had told them, like in the interview, that I really love to work with just interesting user interface hardware and just interesting uh, ways of interacting with with games. And so they didn't tell me what the project was before I accepted the job offer. But I just ended up flying over there, and and I, I got there. And then they were like, "We want to make this game with like a basketball <laughs> as the controller." And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> this is like the best!" I was like so so excited about it because like it's it's just no one's ever done anything like that before. Like no one's mm-hmm. ever tried to something in the in at the start of that project like it was um it wasn't even clear if we were actually going to use a physical ball or we we're going to kind of have a virtual version of a basketball using the connect camera to track it or, or like you know have some kind of motion control mm-hmm. game um, and we just built a lot of prototypes at the, at the start of that project to just prove out that yeah what, what we could do with it with the xbox Kinect camera and how it could interact with the basketball yeah it was Oh, that was So much fun! Like that's like it's so ridiculous that the game even exists. <laughs>
2: because, uh... For those yeah. listening who haven't played it, that's uh, or oh, seen it. It's it's basically it's like Guitar Hero meets yeah. basketball, but with a real basketball. That's right. right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. Yeah, um, it, it's one of those games where if you when if you play it, like you can't really uh you can't really beat you can't really cheat it like if uh, like one of the the guys who like one of the people who was like really pitching the game in the early days like is his name is Curtis Smith he's like he championed the game right through the process and he like convinced Majesco to publish this game and his whole thing was like he plays Guitar Hero and you get really good at Guitar Hero but you're not really any better at playing a guitar when you play Guitar Hero but mm. if you play Baller beats like if you're good at that game like you're good at handling basketball there's no question about it like mm. you have to be you have to be competent um And so the the, the idea of building up skills, like, while playing a game, and, you know, you're playing the game for the fun of it, but you're kind of just building up these skills while you're playing it. It's kind of, it's interesting to to think about how that can be applied to um, lots of different areas.
0: Mm, It's interesting to to look at it now, because back then it probably would have been, like, entertainment, but now you can, there's all these other serious games popping up now. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to revisit that.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, But, yeah, that game, like, the... uh, the prototyping process was super interesting. Just like um, we had, like one of our engineers, like build a, a system to track the track the ball uh, using the Kinect's camera feed. Initially, using just the color of the basketball, um, but that was not super reliable because, like, you get certain skin colors that were like kind of more orangey, and like they would mm-hmm. kind of interfere with the ball. And like, um, and so there was like a hybrid method that someone built, which was like with the using the depth map as well as the ball. So like, you'll find an orange-shaped kind of spherical thing. And eventually, like the final mm. version of the ship, just use the shape of the ball, no, no color at all. So, like you can use a soccer well, ball, you can use like any kind of reasonably sized ball to play that game. Um, yeah, and it works. It works really well.
0: Was Was there a reason to not use the the color as well, or was it like a you know a choice of Was it just a technical thing or?
1: Yeah, I mean, the color is probably the easiest implementation to to use to track the ball. Like, you just need to find this blob of a particular color, like I didn't work on the code for the particular that tracking specifically, but um, for the ball tracking, like yeah, the color seems to be the, the first method to use. But it's nice to be able to, it's nice to be able to use any color because then we didn't necessarily. So the game ended up shipping with like in this giant box with a basketball inside the box mm-hmm. in the game in the front, but um, you don't necessarily have to use the ball that it comes with. You could use any ball, um, any color besides like I think purely black will won't reflect the IR light from the from the Kinect camera properly but um but any other colored basketball would, would track in that game um so it's kind of it's much more flexible to just use the shape um
0: yeah it seems like it would be such a scary thing to ship a game like that do you know what I mean like there's <laughs> yeah. so much mm-hmm. that could go wrong with you have a camera Absolutely. that could be you know interfering with like so everyone's environment is different that they play in so
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do you even account for that
1: yeah, we didn't we didn't break any TVs <laughs> during the production yeah. of the game. Like it, it's funny cuz like you think you think the ball will really go flying, but usually what happens is like you're you're bouncing this ball in front of the TV and like it ends up hitting your foot and rolling away. Kind of more than anything else. Um it doesn't really uh yeah, it doesn't really go flying into the screen, but um yeah, there was a lot of a lot of kind of like concern about about this and like just the way that we design the game we have to kind of take that into account and make sure that like you don't have any crazy moves that are like yeah like you can you can imagine some crazy moves that will send the ball flying but yeah like a lot of a lot of the ball bouncing was like up and down in front of you and then kind of between the legs behind the back that kind of area and you know you have to clear out space obviously like even i mean people break stuff uh like there's potential to break stuff with any motion control game even kind of dance central or like, I mean, especially like VR games these days. It's all mm. like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that could potentially go wrong. So you have to clear the space out, but yeah, that was more, I think it was more of a concern than it ended up being like, I don't think, yeah, like that was really a big, a big issue in the end. Yeah. Mm. Although we did get some noise think- complaints from those. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, like there was one time, we didn't have any noise complaints for the whole of that production process. And then, like, late late in the process, there was, like, the people downstairs were like, are you guys drumming upstairs? or like, what's going on? And we had moved the, we had moved the <laughs> test area to a different room. And then, yeah. So you don't want to be above, like, other people, like, in an apartment or something when you're playing that game. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how big's the team that's working on that uh, game? That was... That kind of game?
1: Initially, it was just a few of us. Because, like, I kind of joined, and then there was probably, like, three or four other people on there, like a designer and like a couple of programmers and eventually grew to about, I think, 20 or 30. Um, like a lot of, as we started to, you know, need more, especially uh, like more tracks and more production and like like as, we, as the game started to build itself out, yeah, it, it grew quite a bit, but it wasn't a huge team. It was kind of, I think probably 25 max, um, I'd say, yeah.
2: Yeah, because then, so that's soon after you go on to do... Um work in VR development. Was that your first like virtual reality in a way um, game you worked on and had you worked on anything similar before? Um,
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting because like I've always gravitated towards that kind of stuff, even before, like even with, like even when we started working on Clone Wars uh, at Chrome, like a lot of the stuff I was doing was using the the Wii remote control, like as, as like a, you know, motion controller kind of thing. And I used to go back into Chrome like after hours and just play with the, we, we finally got that Wii Motion Plus, like, plug-in that has mm. the, the gyroscopes as well, and we used to like, try to build games using that, and, like, I always like this kind of different, like, just unique ways of interacting with a game and, and just new kinds of interaction. That's something that I've always gravitated towards. So it wasn't the first time that I've done that, but it was definitely uh, the first time that, like, like, the, mo- the the most different, I guess, thing that that I'd worked on. Um, that that Yeah. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of, like, I was used to kind of, I understood a little bit back then about how to really, like, prototype using, uh, like, new kinds of devices. It was kind of, like, a real struggle to get that game, like, with Ball of Beats, like, to get, to figure out the design of the game. Like, the way, if you look at the way, if you look at videos of it, the way it's set up, like, the, um, the ball, like, when you bounce the ball, it, it's got this kind of runway in front of you. Uh, and then it's got the actual kind of jewels, like the Guitar Hero kind of like track falling downwards and coming down at like almost like right angles to this runway. And, and that little runway is more of like a, a scoring area. So the reason behind this was that like, if you think about the Kinect camera, like the the camera actually takes like 200 milliseconds, like to even get the ball uh, position, like that's going to take like somewhere like 200 milliseconds to get that position. um so that you know, we'll know when you bounce the ball. Like it's not like when you have a guitar hero controller where you know you get the you get the input pretty much instantly. Like you, there is a, like a latency that's built into Connect and the skeleton positions as well. And so uh, you have to kind of account for that. Like it's a it's a it's a consistent latency, but it's like it's still pretty big for especially for a rhythm game where you want things to be mm-hmm. in sync. So we have to build in this kind of runway that lets you uh, l- lets us kind of almost mask the latency and. Like evaluate the the score like a little bit later than than you would expect. So yeah, there's like a lot of little things like that that just it's kind of through through prototyping that we we have to figure that stuff out.
0: It's it's interesting because we had uh, we had Gillian uh, I can't remember how to pronounce her last name. I can't remember. But, yeah, um, from, uh, Harmonics. yeah, from Harmonix. Yeah, from Harmonix. Yeah. And it was yeah. interesting some of the game design decisions that went into that because of uh, technical limitations, like having yeah. to. I think it was the the kick. Or something like there was some change that they had to do because people were interacting with it a certain way or the technical limitation of it or there's some issues that had occurred so it's it's cool to hear that yeah you know out of prototyping you sort of discovered these things and then almost adapted the game design to um account for that those technical limitations. yeah
1: yeah you have you have to do that and uh because there's always these limitations and i think the the real the real thing that like i've realized now is that the limit yeah the limitation is always it's really the number of iterations that you can do of like having an idea, testing it out in, in reality to interact with it and everything, and then and then just, just like evaluating it and, and mm-hmm. testing and you know building something else. Because the the longer you spend just thinking about something or like designing it in a way that can't really be tested, like that that's just kind of slowing you down. You need to like you need to focus on the number of iterations that you're doing. Uh, that's the thing to optimize for, especially at that stage of a project. Um, yeah,
0: and is that is that something that? Um it was tested internally or was there testing externally with like, was there play tests kind of like how Jillian had mentioned that harmonics was similar or was it just internally with baller beats? With ball beats. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That one. Uh, yeah. I don't think anyone really played that. No, not externally. We didn't have any formal user testing or anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, we were just, we were just playing around with it and it was pretty clear. Like it, it becomes pretty clear when you have something that's fun. Um, yeah, there was a lot, a big period in that project where, we're trying this, this like these designs with the real ball, and like it just didn't feel didn't feel very fun or engaging. And then all of a sudden, like things just fell into place, and then it's like, oh, okay, this is actually it's actually pretty cool to be able to you know hear a song and and bounce a ball in front of the the game, and then it feels like it's responding to you, and um, and it feels like it's tracking, and and everything feels it's starting to feel good. So yeah, when you have that kernel of fun, like I don't like there is absolutely value in like user testing, but. I think there is also mm-hmm. a value in just kind of intuition as well. Like just like you kind of get a sense mm-hmm. of uh, what's actually pretty good pretty quickly and what could apply. Like the, if you're careful about, about whether your intuition is like specific to, to you, I, I think this, that's where people get into trouble because like you can have kind of preferences that are really specific mm-hmm. to you. Like, And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people do this where like, they'll have these very specific preferences of like, oh, I like things this way. Um, and that's the way, like I-, I want them. And then they try to generalize that to everybody. But you have to be really careful to, like, to mm. separate that out. To, it's like this is actually fun for me, and you can. Ha- you have to almost picture someone else using it and show a few other people, obviously, and try to get a sense of like the general, like whether it- whether that generalizes or not. Like, mm. um, and as long as you're careful about that, I think you can actually get pretty far with just using intuition rather than having to do kind of formal testing. On yeah, and especially if you're trying to make something that's pretty widely uh that applies pretty widely like it should be fun for most
0: people who play it for sure and and that kind of and if it's based on like a
2: yeah sorry if it's based on like a like a real world activity if you're going into it you know without that kind of um backing you'll probably got a bit more creative freedom Mm. to you're not going like oh well i wouldn't actually stand like this while i bounce the ball or something you're it's more up to like an artist's interpretation, almost. Yeah, right?
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we had uh, people in the office uh, who had never really played basketball before. Like, I played a bit before, but some people had just never played it before, and it was interesting to see how they evolved. Like, especially like as they as as they kind of played it again and again, and how they improved at the game and improved at their basketball handling. It was kind of interesting to see that. But yeah, um, yeah, you, you definitely have to think about that. Like, some people are just way more experienced. Than others and they'll kind of play it differently i mean like thankfully like curtis who i, I mentioned earlier who was kind of champion in the game he was like a pretty like a pretty competent basketball player and um yeah he's uh like he was great for testing as well we, we gave him the hardest the hardest song to play and like it, like there's a comment that someone made like towards the end it's like we just we made a game that like he's the best at basically yeah. if you watch there's some videos of him online playing it and it's like incredible to watch him it's just like the balls almost like his feet are just planted and the ball's like in orbit around him when he's playing. It's incredible. But well, yeah, <laughs> the, we saw yeah. a
0: video of um, we we saw a video of Stephen Curry playing it as well. Yes, and it's just yeah. insane. Yeah,
1: yeah. A lot of yeah, we got a lot of NBA players to try it. Like towards the end, um, like so a lot of the marketing stuff was yeah, going to like these NBA players' camps and things, and um, yeah, like a lot of players kind of connected to it. Um, it's interesting that like I think Steph Curry is probably the, like. The one that kind of got it, like it seems like he got it instantly. Um, but like, yeah, it's it's interesting to that. Like, you don't you, know, you can you can definitely see the difference in skill. Even if you've never seen the game before, if you can handle a basketball, you're kind of already going to be playing at a pretty high level. So there is like, uh, yeah, like it does help you build that skill. And if you've already got the skill of, of how to handle a, a ball, then yeah, you can you can definitely kind of show it off in the game.
0: Surely, uh, we'll see baller beats um, in VR. i hope so yeah
1: yeah i hope so yeah um it's funny because um once the game actually uh was was uh like finished so like the the sales absolutely bombed because the the game itself was not really like we kind of like we kind of realized especially afterwards that like yeah it's not like and like it's not really something that you can play at home like you can't really take it um and like most homes don't really have the space to, to play it in like you need like a particular kind of floor and a particular kind of um, space to play it, and it didn't really make a lot of sense in that in that respect. But uh, what happened was the game the game bombed, and then Curtis ended up buying the source code from uh, HB, the, the the developer, and uh, basically continuing to develop it himself with a small team um, and turning it into more of like a fitness like a fitness machine that mm-hmm. would that you would use in like a gym. Um, it's called like it's called handle fitness i think so yeah if you look that up you can see like where he's kind of taken the game but yeah it looks like it's actually being used quite a bit i think it's been pretty successful with uh with that like i'm glad that like the code itself and the the kind of core game is actually still has some value there and like people are using it for for training and things like that it's it's pretty cool but um yeah combining it with uh hololens or combining it with uh quest uh yeah combining it with vr yeah it would be pretty cool i think
0: well, let's well let's talk about VR because you you went okay. from uh, from working there. I think you worked at another company in between Facebook as well. Was it? That's right. Yeah, I worked at Frontier
1: um, Frontier Development. So that company ended up uh, when so HP Studios that office closed down, and Frontier ended up kind of acquiring that little studio and yeah. kind of we were working there on kind of mobile games and. A few different things there for a while. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, what
0: was the the motivation for you to to apply or to, to sort of go towards Oculus? And this is Oculus before Facebook going to it.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So I didn't like the the stuff that we were building at HP. I really connected with, especially Bola Beats, because like it was just new and interesting. But then when we when it became Frontier, like a lot of the work there was not it wasn't really exactly kind of what I was looking for, like kind of working on mobile games and like, it's interesting stuff and even kind of PC games, but like, it's interesting enough, but it's just, I want to like work on something that's just, you know, more, more risky or more, just, I don't know, more crazy and interesting. Um, And so, yeah, like ended up seeing that this, uh, well, firstly, like I had backed the Oculus Kickstarter. (laughs) So like, yeah, I was already kind of getting the itch for, itch for this stuff. And I saw Oculus, I think it was like a Kotaku article or something. And I saw, yeah, they were, they were shipping this development kit or they were starting a Kickstarter. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll give you 300 bucks and see see where it goes. Um, yeah, and like a few... It, it took a while. And between that and when I got the hardware, I went to GDC and they were giving a demo at GDC. I forget what year this was as well. It must have been 2012 or 2013. Um, and they had their DK1 there. And so that was the first time I tried it. And it was like incredible. And I talked to... Like I found those guys like the guys at Oculus outside the like on the street at GDC and like I just went up to them and like shook some of their hands and stuff and I got the card of like Nate Mitchell who's like the like I guess basically yeah one of the one of the heads of the, of the company and um yeah so like I went back to Halifax after that and ended up like I saw the job opening and so instead of emailing the the jobs kind of board I just emailed him directly <laughs> and he looked, mm. it took like a month to get back to me but um because he was probably super busy but yeah eventually ended up flying over there yeah doing some uh doing some interviews there and and getting that job and i was like yeah so excited because like it was like it wasn't a huge team when i joined maybe like like 80 people or so something like that but um it was uh it was like it felt like it was small like everyone was pretty much in the same room everyone knew everyone and like it felt like we were doing something like really like really cool that that not many people had had done before so yeah
2: so it it cut out a bit did you say eight eight? 80 not eight (laughs) i wasn't quite that early (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs>
2: I was like oh my god that would be it would be very yeah. different <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah um yeah so what what do? you did you like so obviously you were blown back by the technology when you had it and um do you reckon was that what it was that fe- drew facebook to it or did, was there something about it that resonated did they just see this as the future and yeah they were at the right time. Yeah,
1: actually, like, um, so between when I I, um, I accepted the offer and when uh, when I actually went to fly in because I was waiting for my visa and stuff, and so when I went in to join the company, like between those day those dates, like the acquisition had already been announced. So like, oh, um, okay. so like they'd already been like, yeah. So I don't know much about like what what happened there before that, but it, like you have to you have to say that like Facebook have really been. Uh, ahead of the game in a lot of ways with um, with a lot of this stuff like they like they saw that they saw this coming kind of you know like this was twenty fourteen or even twenty thirteen like yeah they they kind of really saw this coming like quite quite a while ago and and invested a ton of money I think like yeah Zuckerberg is pretty was pretty big on this from the um, from the get go so like there's definitely like yeah they could see the potential there I think a lot of this stuff is because um, the fact that like the like, like Facebook would be looking for the next thing, right? Like, and not necessarily. Like, you know, twenty fourteen was like, you know, the peak of like a lot of mobile phone stuff. Like, and it's still kind of we're in that era of like people are just using phones. But like, what's the next thing? And so, like, a lot of companies are thinking, okay, what's the, what's the next thing? And I think Facebook has made just this massive bet on on augmented and virtual reality. And so that was probably one of the yeah at the start of that. Um, I mean, Microsoft were also kind of in the game back then with with Hololens. Like, they they were in pretty early as well, mm. but.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. What do you, What do you think sort of made Oculus special at that time? Like, I'm sure when Oculus was announced, there was probably a bunch of other copy or you know similar um, devices announced. What do you think sort of made it special and almost has made it endure this long? You know, besides obviously having a almost you know infinite amount of uh, funding for R and D. But is there? Was there something around the culture there, or you know what? What did that sort of feel like? Um, I think the team was very, like,
1: very strong. Like, you can't really, uh, you can't, I don't know if, like, there was other stuff obviously being worked on at the time, even, like, you know, Valve and and the, uh, the HTC Vive, and like, they had a team, like, a pretty strong team there as well. And, like, it's funny, because, like, back in those days, it seemed like everyone kind of knew everyone, like, and there was, like, a lot of crosstalk between the companies and things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I think, I mean, Oculus was also like i definitely think the um like it w- probably wouldn't have survived like like if there was no way for it to just kind of be independent forever it would have had to be acquired by someone like i don't think like like cuz yeah the especially with with kind of hardware like you have to be uh pretty lean in order to, to make money and like yeah it's, it's like the the margins and stuff are so high but like i think yeah like the 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 timing of the acquisition and being able to have like all those years to, to build up to something like the Quest. Like I think, yeah, definitely put it put it in, in a good uh, a good place. Like because the Quest right now is doing like really well. It's like really successful. You see it like everywhere, mm. and like it's like it wasn't it wasn't like that. Um, yeah, back in the day, where you know you needed like a Rift or you'd have a Vive, and you need to plug into a PC, and like um, yeah, just it's just so much more work to, to do that compared to compared like for consumers compared yeah. to something like a Quest. Um, I think. Oculus have always had that that kind of user focus, I guess, or mm-hmm. uh, product focus, and I think that's probably helped as well. But
0: uh, yeah, what, what do you um, like? You, you spoke about obviously how Quest has now become pretty popular. Um, mm-hmm. Was there a push or a change in mindset at some point there at Oculus to go from, or was it always you know known that they were heading towards this? Uh, Tether, you know, untethered um, device that was, you know, running on battery. Was there a change or shift in mindset there to go from, okay, we're working on the the Rift, and now we're going to change into, you know, focusing on this other kind of device, or was that always the goal? Um, I think it, it depends on who you
1: ask. <laughs> um, like, I think there's definitely there's a there's a camp there that definitely was focused on on PCVR, like the team like, split off, like, with PC and with mobile for a while, and then kind of it came back together again, and, like, the, the organization structure has changed. Um, but the, uh, like, I think we all kind of, it's, it's hard to say, because, like, I feel like I've kind of changed my mind on this stuff, and so, like, I, I was probably, like, I, personally, I was focused on the PC VR side, but mostly because that's where we had the controllers. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's where we had the 3D, 3D track controllers, because on the mobile side, like, we started with, like back in those days, we had the Gear VR as well, right? So they, this is the um, the system that we kind of partnered Oculus and Samsung partnered on to use the the Note Four and the Galaxy phones to slide it into the front of this um, this piece of plastic that lets you use the phone as a VR headset, and that like ended up like yeah, that there was like a whole team dedicated to that stuff as well as the Rift side that people were kind of building out, and I just like. Thought from a control point of view, the the Rift was just way more interesting because we you know we we, we had the the touch controllers pretty quickly after the Rift launch, and working with three three D controllers is super interesting. But um, the, from a consumer point of view, clearly like having no PC and having or or having no requirement of a PC is, is pretty is pretty valuable. So um, it it made sense I think a, a lot of it. But uh, and and now if you see like what the Quest is like, you've got the controllers as well as the the untethered kind mm-hmm. of headset plus like six stuff tracking like it's it like it's really it really gets the best part of like the best pieces of all of this stuff and puts it together into a really nice package like um yeah even the mobile side they didn't really have if you look at the oculus go there was no position tracking there only kind of orientation tracking so um yeah this it's it's kind of it's, it's it's come a long way i think just to, to be able to put the something like the quest together and the quest is like mm-hmm. an incredible piece of hardware like it works it works as a mobile uh, headset. It has controllers. It has six stuff, everything, and it also can work as a PC VR headset. It's like it's really, it's mm. it's really an incredible piece of hardware. Like um, I think people don't don't. I mean, I guess they do, but like I,
0: yeah, it, it just
1: is is really really
0: cool. <laughs> and and because the Oculus Go, that was the one that had the remote that didn't actually have controls, and it also didn't have uh, positional tracking. Was it? That's correct. Yeah, it's basically. Uh, it's
1: almost like a, a Samsung Gear VR, but as a standalone thing, plus it's got this controller, which uses, it's also kind of 3 Dof tracking controller. So it just uses the inertial sensing to kind of give you like a pointing device and, and a button. Um, so it kind of limits you and what you can build with that. Like, it's almost like it, it focuses on being like a media consumption device uh, mm-hmm. because the, the control is just not as uh, as deep. Um but yeah, and with the Quest now, you've got like hand tracking as well as the controllers. So there's all kinds of yeah, all kinds of cool stuff there. And
0: but, and um, with with it's interesting because a lot of the Quests, is obviously, there's there's been trade offs. You know what I mean? Like with the design of uh, even going from the Quest One, I know that there was um, the I can't remember what it's called, but the 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 IPD the yeah. IPD the the di- is it the, yeah. the, the distance mm-hmm. between your um yes. your your eyes that was a different kind of mechanism, and then it's just been sort of um, you could say you know it's been limited in a way in terms of the range of motion that you can do to change it from you know it's kind of three presets. But some people look at that mm. as a trade-off. Some people look at that as just you know cutting down um, costs in a way. But yeah, you know, w- were you there in any of those discussions of like how this sort of stuff happened or?
1: No, I wasn't. I wasn't involved in the in the hardware design really at all. Like my my role primarily at uh, at Oculus was initially as like a software engineer on the, um, on the front end. So the like Oculus home, like back in the gear VR days, like we kind of shipped Oculus home, like a system for just basically interacting with the, uh, with the headset being able to buy software and, and to be able to launch software things like that. Um, and then, uh, the same kind of deal with the, with the rift. And then the last kind of few years at Oculus, I was more in almost like a prototyping R and D role. Where I was looking at different kinds of input devices, different kinds of controllers, um, and even like mouse and keyboard kind of stuff and just like exploring this the possibility space of like what you can do with a headset using using different kinds of input
0: devices. Yeah. Is there is there stuff that you've done or well, that you can talk about that hasn't made it out of, you know, the R and D that you were working on? maybe it's maybe it's stuff that was just passed on or not, not didn't end up coming out, but was there stuff that you were interested in or ideas that you sort of went down uh, the thought process of and then just didn't end up coming to fruition? Um,
1: I can't really, I'm probably not supposed to talk about a lot of that stuff. <laughs> I need to think about like, um, yeah, probably. That's right. probably we
0: can, can't, Yeah, we can, we can pass on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. A question I actually had was around, uh, you know, advice as in, why do you feel devs should, you know, jump into VR development, and, and what are some sort of technical limitations that you found working with with uh, VR that devs could uh, should look out for?
1: So why why do I feel they should jump into VR? Mm. Is that right? Okay. Um, mm. Well, I think it's I think it's just cool and new. <laughs> like I think that's the that's the reason to get into it. Like and there's enough of an install base out there now that it's possible to make money off like a VR application. But. Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's just so new and interesting, like, what you can do with it. And, um, yeah. And what was the second part of the question, sorry? Like, the technical
0: limitations that you found that, uh, you know, working with VR hardware or things that people look out for. Mm. I mean, you've, you've worked with the hardware and, and the software for so long. Is there other things that people should look out for?
1: I think, like, you have to think in terms of, like, in terms of, like first person and when I say that I don't necessarily mean like first person games. Like you can build a good third person game in VR. Like you can build like even like platform games where you're kind of looking down on a little world and things like that. Um but like you have to really think about what the experience is like, like looking through the headset, which I think people struggle with sometimes. I don't know, like like you have to like think from the right point of view, which is like it's kinda of hard to explain it, but it's um yeah, it's this kind of uh like the, the the design of like VR content is so much is so different um, from yeah from designing stuff on a screen and like you really have to think think differently and yeah. always kind of be testing in, in the headset. Like I see a lot of people that it's you kind of like this is tendency with programmers to just like optimize away a lot of the a lot of the stuff where it's like, oh I can I have this VR. Headset, but I can actually just do a lot of the development on, on my computer without ever putting on a headset because that's like it's just quicker for me. But if you're not testing in the headset all the time, like you're just gonna, you're, you're not really gonna get a sense of what it's like for the user. Um, you, I think you really need to be like in there a lot, um, and really just, um, yeah, testing stuff out in the headset quite, quite a lot. You can't just, uh, yeah, you can't optimize that out of the process completely.
0: Mm. Uh, and I mean, and an interesting, you, you touched on that sort of being in it. And I, it just, it, it threw me to that uh, concept video. I think that, or well, not maybe a concept, but it was a video that uh, Oculus had put out about two years ago called Infinite Office. Is that something mm. that you you worked on? I mean, you spoke about keyboard integration to some extent. I know that, mm-hmm. so Infinite Office for those listening is kind of like a, uh, a virtual, well, it's kind of an augmented reality where you have a desk and you put your VR headset on and you can... Uh, you know, put screens up on top of your desk, and you can interact with the keyboard on the on the desk and and the mouse, and it's almost like a way of, of virtually working to some extent. Is that mm. um, do do you think that's a lot of use case for that in in the real world? I think that I think there is absolutely. I, like I think the the struggle
1: is that the hardware right now is not really there for that. Um, like the one thing is the resolution is not quite there for the the virtual screens and the um, the. The, just the, the weight of the hardware and um, not being able to have, like, good quality pass-through uh, mm-hmm. video, like, not being able to see and feel like you're in the real world or have that option when you're, when you're working, I think, like, there's a few different things that need to be figured out before uh, before that really makes sense. I think in the long term, it really does make a lot of sense because mm-hmm. you end up with, like, uh, if you think about, if you kind of extrapolate a little bit to, to where it's going, like, you can, like, we have these kind of laptops with, like, Kind of a keyboard and, and the trackpad and like we have this interface that you're kind of hunched over and you're looking like when, you're, when it's on the go you're kind of looking at it looking at this little screen that's attached to the the, the keyboard like part and, and the compute box um, and I think like if you can pull that that display off into a into a headset kind of form factor then you end up with like having the user experience uh, of a desktop computer but in the almost in the form factor of a laptop, like where you can have as many virtual screens as you want, as big as you want them, um, with 3D content as well in them if you want, and uh, the ability to go immersive whenever you want. Like I think it becomes like over time, way more, way more flexible and way more uh, just useful than like a, a regular display, especially if it's like a personal display. Like if it's like a laptop, it's only you that's really using it. If it's more like a television or like something that's like multiple people are using, then the cost doesn't really make a lot of sense, like if everyone has to have a headset. But if it's just you using it a laptop, I think, I think it starts to make sense. Maybe in the next kind of five, maybe maybe ten years. But like, hopefully within five years, like we start to see a lot of that stuff kind of um, making more sense. I think like people are already doing it. They're already 80. kind of
0: yeah.
1: But but the people that are doing it right now are really are kind of early adopter people. But yeah, I think that working using a headset is is probably going to be a, a thing.
0: And you're right, you definitely, like, it. if you can, you know, if it's, uh, you do have a laptop, it has a screen on there, why not have glasses instead of a screen that, you know, maybe the laptop is the base and it just streams the video to, you know, a set of glasses. Like, you can definitely see it going there as well. And and even the the sort of added benefit of having, you know, telepresence and having other people in the room virtually, if possible, do you know what I mean? Like, that makes it so clear. Absolutely.
1: Deal. And I think that is the, that's the thing that, like, because you can do this right now, where you can be in a in a VR headset and you can have other people in there. But if that's the only thing that you're doing in the headset, like it feels kind of a little bit, a little bit like uh, kind of pointless. Not pointless, but like just mm. a little bit lame right now. When if you, if you're just in there in like a virtual meeting with other people, because like the thing is that with the current headset technology, you don't really get a sense of the person's facial expressions or like you don't really get this the subtlety. And so you get a feeling of being in the room with someone, but you lose a lot of the stuff that you would get in a video call. And in in a lot of ways, the stuff that you get in a video call is more important than the, the sense of presence for a lot of just general meeting stuff. But if you're actually in the headset already doing something and you have the ability to just bring someone up like at the, you know, at the click of a button and, and just be there with other people while working or while, you know, doing anything really while playing, like, you know, me and Dave play like mini golf a lot. Like, my uh, I don't know if you talked to Dave, the, uh, the guy who runs the VR meetups in Adelaide, he's like a really really interesting guy to talk to. A yeah. Um, really. okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, really interesting character. You should probably have him have him on at some point. But yeah, um, it's, uh, But yeah, we play like mini golf in, in, in the headset a lot. And uh, that's another thing where it's like a very simple game, um, walkabout mini golf, and, but it's, it's like just being in there, it's just an excuse to be in there with other people. Yeah. So right now you really need that use case. Uh, mm. But you, you need that use case to put the headset on so that you can then be in there with other people. Mm-hmm. But but like over time I think as these headsets get lighter and smaller and just more compact and, and just more comfortable, like I think you're gonna get into the situation where you've already got the headset on because you're using it for something else and you can kind of wear it a bit more passively, like you don't need to take it off all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you can start to have other people there like immediately and I think it'll be it'll be pretty interesting.
0: So I mean you you spoke about hardware getting sort of lighter, cheaper. Are there any other things or any barriers or challenges you feel that need to be solved before it sort of reaches that mass adoption because right now it's i mean mm. Oculus Quest is doing quite well um mm. with a with a certain you know market but it's it's not that mass adoption yet
1: no yeah yeah and i think like the way that the quest is right now it's really it's really a games console like that's what that's what it's it's like people are buying it for um, it's like a. It's like you can buy it off the shelf. It's like a, a PlayStation or like an Xbox, where you've got this kind of front end where you can buy you can buy games from the the official store, and then that's how that's kind of how it can make its money back. That's the kind of business model of the whole system. But like it's not, to me, it, that's like one uh, almost like local maxima in the possibility space of what you can build as as a as a headset. Like you can you can think of different configurations that maybe are, are more it's useful for other use cases like if you're talking about the kind of sitting down at a desktop computer use case like if you think about where you'd put the where, where you'd put the battery and the and the compute like it's probably like putting it in the headset is probably the worst place to yeah, put it right that's right um but uh, yeah. but like as a, as a just a standalone unit that's probably the best place to put it so there, there's definitely these trade-offs there that make it like mm. it's possible that in the like you know as the years go on like people will make more specialized hardware for different use cases and maybe over time those things will kind of coalesce into more unified hardware. Like, I'm not really sure how it's going to go, but it definitely seems to me that there's different trade-offs that you could make uh, for different use cases at this point. Um, but, like, I don't know if the the companies that are building the hardware are kind of thinking in those terms, but, like, that's the way, that's my sense of it. Um, I think if you think long, long-term, like, and this is kind of more speculative, and I'm not really sure if I even have the, the kind of, I should, like it's it's just super speculative but like it seems that like uh, as like w- you've talked you've have you heard of Michael Abrash talk about kind of uh foveation and just how like the um the the eye the human eye will only really uh be seeing detail at like a thumbnail's distance at arm's length so if you hold your thumbnail out at arm's length like that area of your thumbnail is where you're seeing any detail at all and your eye really has to move around the scene uh, to be able to pick up detail anywhere else. And like your, your, your mind, like, and your eyes, just, the, the system just really uses a lot of tricks to kind of fill in the details of like what's, what's around you. And so if you think about how uh, the, the displays work at the moment, like, you know, you have this grid of pixels that we're rendering out to that, like, um, you know, we're drawing all the pixels at higher fidelity. We have kind of different kinds of foveation now where, you have like more detail in the middle and and less on the outside. But I think as we start to get kind of eye tracking and even, even further than that, like as we try as we, as like, like I think like imagine if you can optimize the whole stack from the display to even like the graphics hardware and everything down to be more tightly integrated or or, or to work more with the human visual system rather than like being like working towards like displaying on these kinds of grids of pixels. um, Like, the, the kind of the whole stack right now is just built around you know rasterizing to these rectangles and I think as you think about how it could be just more tightly integrated with with the human visual system then maybe you get to just optimize away a lot of the like a lot of the work of, of rendering stuff and you just end up like like today we just render a lot of pixels that that just never get seen by anybody right it seems mm. like a lot of wasted work mm. um, so maybe there's maybe there's something there in kind of the long long term that like yeah it actually ends up being a lot easier to to simulate reality using these kind of glasses
0: but it's almost it's almost shifting the uh the development mindset you know fundamentally before you uh can like to, to optimize that Do you know what i mean like you, you spoke about mm. rendering to to a, to a screen but actually changing the development process
1: yeah i mean in a lot of ways the the hardware today is like it's shoehorning off mobile phone hardware right we're kind of using like uh like especially mm. in the early days like mobile phone screens and and processes and, and batteries and like all these pieces are just like off-the-shelf pieces that we're taking that that are useful and that have been optimized for some other use case but kind of you can put put these things together to make a headset um and you know accelerometers and things like that but if you think about how, if you could optimize the whole thing for this particular use case like I feel like you get you end up getting somewhere pretty interesting um but yep. like that takes a lot of work like even just custom silicon and all that stuff it's like that's that's a big a it's, big change, like yeah, yeah. It's it's
0: interesting you say that because you hear all these rumors of Apple moving into this space and mm. having their own custom silicon already. Mm-hmm. Um, being really what you're talking about is this tight integration of you know hardware, software, the end to, the end to end, which really is you know Apple's specialty with with their products. Mm. Um, what what are your thoughts? Have you heard of like any of that stuff, or are you? what are your opinions on yeah, both, you know, any speculative Apple stuff that's coming out, but also just the stuff that's coming out of Microsoft with the HoloLens?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, well, I know like a lot of people at Apple, like, like basically there's a lot of crosstalk between these companies because like a lot of the skills, uh, are kind of in demand, like in mm-hmm. kind of virtual reality and, and uh, in, in design and things like that. So there's a lot of people that kind of move between these companies, um, mm-hmm. and even Microsoft and, uh, yeah, so like I'm not sure product-wise, like what, like when they're gonna show something. I hope it's soon, but like uh, to me, it's it's very hard to it's very hard to judge like before you before you ship something. Mm. So like I, I hope they release something soon because like people will definitely get excited about it, especially if it's if it's good. But then you know then they're gonna be like traditionally, Apple have always waited until something is like of a really high quality before shipping anything. I think Facebook's mindset. Is very different, or Facebook or Meta, I guess now. But yeah, um, their mindset is all kind of uh, is always to ship things quickly and test them, and kind of like if you think about how many headsets that were shipped over the last few years from from Oculus, like it's quite quite a lot. So uh, it's just kind of trial and error kind of process. Where mm-hmm. I think Apple are more focused on building the you know the right thing, the perfect thing. So that may take longer. Um, I think the Hololens is interesting as well. I think to be honest, like this. Uh, like, and I know a lot of people might disagree, but yeah, the, this idea of uh, like the display technology being being transparent, like versus versus like block light virtual reality that uses you know pass through reconstruction to show the real world, like that, mm. it, it just seems that like you can build a VR headset that does what Hololens does much cheaper. Um, it gives you the same user experience in mm-hmm. terms of seeing the real world and overlaying things. Plus, it's more capable because you can subtract things rather than just add add light to the scene. Um, so I think, like, uh, the cost of that is, is going to be, like, I think over time you'll see much more, like, VR headsets rather than kind of those kind of AR headsets. I don't know, like, neither of these things, the HoloLens or the, the Quest, it, neither of them are a device which you can just w- wear walking out outside mm. down the street yeah. like that that is a different yeah. different level of uh, well, you can but you know
0: you can yeah, yeah you can <laughs> but you'd look pretty
1: strange doing it um and yeah so the yeah like i think that's a different category at the moment like if you wanted to build something in the in the right form factor of glasses um like that's a, a totally different set of things that like uh That you can do right now but you know eventually we'll get to the point where you can do everything you can do on a quest in a pair of of glasses now whether those are are like they look like kind of regular glasses or they look like sunglasses where you you're kind of blocking the light um it doesn't really matter that much i don't think um like what technology you use is is kind of almost irrelevant but like getting it down to that size is like it's pretty far away like yeah i don't think it's Mm. anything that's gonna we're gonna see soon um Although you can do some interesting stuff with classes. like you can do interesting stuff with, you know, AirPods or whatever, and and those are kind of almost augmented reality devices in, in some ways. Like you just they're just kind of small things attached, you know, yeah. yeah. If you kind of create a set of, I don't know, like it's it's just there's there's interesting stuff you can do in all these things, but trying to converge everything into one thing is like pretty. It's pretty hard at this point
0: is that where Facebook for meta now is is trying to go and, and, and actually what are your thoughts on on the meta name change and even dropping the oculus um, brand as well
1: uh, I feel so sad about the oculus thing yeah. <laughs> that's like because it's yeah. like our baby I guess from from the early days like yeah it definitely makes me a little sad to see that that go because like I felt like I felt like we built something where it's it's it, it's a pretty strong brand that kind of stands for Stands for quality. Like mm. it's 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 known for pretty good quality hardware, and so that's not something that's easy to build. Like it, it takes time to build that that name, and so I think like Meta, like I don't uh I don't um imagine that they'll kind of like I think you know in in five ten years time I don't think Oculus will be necessarily like people will remember it except for you know the hardcore enthusiasts. If if Meta are pushing the Meta brand, they'll like that'll be that'll be I I think more well known, but. Uh, it is kind of sad, <laughs> like it's just, yeah, it's it's sad to me. But um, I think the it's interesting though, like thinking of, from the perspective of like Facebook as a company, and when Oculus was acquired, like there was a lot of people at the company, and rightly or wrongly, I'm not sure if it's just because we weren't aware of the discussions that were happening at different levels, but like we were like, okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're shipping this this Rift, like we're shipping the Rift, and we're shipping stuff, and we're, we're kind of growing this massive team, but. Like we're not really, like, Facebook are making money from the advertising, um, right? That's, like, that's how Facebook makes money. And so, at some point, we're, we're thinking, like, the the uh, the executives at Facebook are just gonna get bored, <laughs> or they're just gonna get, like, they're just gonna get impatient with, like, us, drop. like, burn, burning all this money on, yeah, exactly, the hammer's gonna drop, and we're just gonna get cut from the whole company, and we're never gonna, you know, VR's gonna be dead, and, like, we're gonna, yeah, we're not never gonna get anywhere, but, over the years, like it's just become bigger and bigger, to the point where like it's pretty much like eaten Facebook at this point. Because now it's Meta, now it's like the main focus of the company is like Metaverse. Mm. So it's like it's, it's it's so surprising that like within less than ten years, like this whole idea has just like consumed the whole the whole company. Obviously, there's like still a, a chunk of people working on Facebook, the products and like other other things. But I I think it's a good chunk now, like at least one fifth of the company or more. Is working on augmented and virtual reality. Um, last I heard, it was something like ten thousand headcount, ten thousand people. Wow. Um, it's probably more now. Um, yeah, there's like a lot of people working on on this stuff over there. So, uh, yeah, I, it's. It, I wonder that.
0: I mean, I I feel like the discrepancy would still be, you know, the the ma- the massive amounts of profits coming in are still from Facebook versus you know Meta or like mm. or Meta or Oculus or these augmented reality stuff.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's starting to, to change a little bit now. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely true that like uh, yeah, it's it's that's that's the that's the main business at this point. But the it's just the mindshare. It's like like the fact that like Zuckerberg is up there and he's kinda of pushing the metaverse stuff is like it's such a it's such a difference um, from from what it was like a few years ago where it was like almost yeah you you wouldn't even imagine that this would happen so um, yeah but I don't know like Metaverse is such a weird word as well like I don't really know what it means. <laughs> that I've been looking on this topic. Does anyone know what it means? I don't think so. Um, yeah, it's a. I don't think Facebook. I, I don't, yeah, um, I kind of like the idea of just. Um, Building, building things useful, like, building things that, like, in in the short term that are interesting, like, I think that's the that's the way to go instead of, like, these kind of grand visions. I think John Carmen mm. talked about this in, in the last talk at, uh, mm. at uh, Connect, like, where it's just about, like, just, just, yeah, like, focus on the kind of things that you can do today rather than these kind of grand visions um, of, yeah, of things that you might want to do tomorrow. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that's the way yes, to go. That's,
0: that's definitely... Definitely something I want to talk about. You mentioned John Carmack. Mm. What was it like yeah. <laughs> working with both, actually both Palmer Lucky and also mm. John Carmack, these two really big personalities? Like what, what was, yeah, what was that like?
1: Yeah, well, um, yeah, Palmer's definitely an interesting, interesting character. He's a, yeah, he's, he's a nice guy, but he was like definitely, like I didn't work with him directly too much. And like he was kind of around in the early days and he was, uh, yeah, always had these kind of crazy, crazy things that he was working on. I remember one of these hackathon projects where he had these, <laughs> he just don't, I don't know if I can really talk about this, actually. Yeah, I probably should leave that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, just like, yeah, just interesting ideas and very creative, very, uh, like, just, yeah, really, really strong, like, engineer and just was able to, to build really cool stuff. And, and Carmack is just like another level. Like, he's, like, you always see these posts internally from him of these, like, massive, like, <laughs> just massive, like, posts of like feedback of different uh different things and sometimes like it can be easy to take it the wrong way because i think his his writing style is very dry and very like uh it's a little bit scary like reading stuff like like reading his feedback because it's not very like Im- emotive it's very just blunt um but like when you talk to him in person he's just like a super nice guy so you got to make sure that like you understand like where he's coming from but yeah it's always like really strong feedback Those. um yeah, one time I got like to show like a like a like personally demo of some of the work that I did to him, and it was like, yeah, I he like I got some like pretty good praise from, from that. Like he said it was like strikingly good, and I was like so happy with that. <laughs> I was like, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, he doesn't give compliments that often <laughs> as well, so I was like so so happy with that um, <laughs> that feedback. But uh, yeah, he's like always uh, yeah, he's just another level. It's 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 crazy. Like whatever he puts his mind to, he can like make a lot of progress on. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, and like he's kind of. Like he dips his toes into just a whole bunch of different areas, like the like the the software side as well as like he's thinking about hardware and optics and all kinds of different stuff all the time. So um, I think these days he's like consulting CTO mm. at the company, so he's like less directly involved than he was before. But um, yeah, he really he was one of the people who really pushed the mobile side of things. Like he was involved in the Gear VR and the Oculus Go and and the Quest as well. So he was there right through that because um, he's all about just optimizing the like you know just software optimizations mm-hmm. and things like that so it ma- it makes a lot of sense for him so yeah yeah he was there uh, he was like basically uh he was focused on the mobile side like the whole time so he didn't he never really changed his stance on that he was always about the mobile stuff so
0: <laughs> did you uh manage to play a game of doom with him <laughs>
1: I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to do that. <laughs> Unfortunately, because
0: I remember he was uh, he was pushing. Uh, I mean, I think this was before he joined Oculus. But he was pushing Doom Three, or he had he had done a like a like a VR build of of Doom Three, and was I think showing it off even at um, one of the early, maybe CES or or GDC mm. or something like that. So he That's he's right. always been like behind it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was
1: uh, he was working. Uh, on this stuff like yeah like super early on with, with Palmer I think. Um yeah they they kind of knew each other before any of this stuff really happened. So like they kinda of met at conferences and things I think. But uh, on forums I think as well. But yeah, it's uh yeah he's been involved like for for a long time.
0: Awesome. Um uh, I was gonna ask about the quest three but we probably can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, <don't laughs> <think so>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh, well, I mean Mark Zuckerberg has said that Quest 3 and Quest 4 are in development, like he mentioned mm. it, I think, early last year, so mm. um, maybe we'll leave it at that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, there'll be more hardware iterations, it's just that, like, I, I definitely think the right thing to do if you're a developer, or even if you're an enthusiast, is just, just focus on what we have now, because it's awesome. Like, the Quest 2 is, like, an awesome piece of hardware, mm. like, as we been playing with it with some friends, like, as, like I enjoy the Quest like more as a developer than as a player to be honest like as a user i just like mm-hmm. using it to build stuff and there's just so much potential like you can go so many different ways with it like you don't have to think about even having something that works on the official store just like use it to to build something cool it's like and there's like this there's new apis coming out all the time like the pass through stuff just dropped a, a couple of months ago and it's like really really cool to to play with pass through and see how how that would work for different things like yeah it's it's really really awesome
0: and even um, Oculus—is uh, Oculus Air the the wireless link now? Oh, Airlink. Is it Air? Yeah. Well, I can't remember what it was called. Air it's link. called Airlink. Airlink. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, way of wirelessly connecting to your computer. I think that that's now like, you know, the the main way of sort of connecting. You don't even mm. have to play it with uh, a, you know a cable connected.
1: Yeah, if you want to run PC content, yeah, you can you can do that via Air Link now. Um, I I haven't got that working too well. I think my Wi-Fi at home is not is not quite there for, for that stuff. I, I use PCVR with Link, like, just the regular USB 3 cable, like, all the time. That, that works great as well. Mm-hmm. Like, um, But, yeah, you can... Uh, yeah, if you have your Wi-Fi set up correctly, I think L-Link actually works pretty well, but I haven't mm-hmm. uh, been able to try that
0: myself. And and what are you what are you working on at the moment? So we before we sort of started recording, you mentioned you're, you're working on a bunch of different projects. And when we had yeah. met last year, you you mentioned you're working on an architectural project. So yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what was your thoughts behind that?
1: Um, so the architecture stuff is kind of a little bit related to the working in VR stuff. Like I was just kind of experimenting with ways to do even just like integrating CAD, uh, like CAD software into VR and being able to use a mouse to interact and like rather than using 3D controllers. Using a mouse to build CAD models and things like that—it's um, kind of a, a bit of a different way of thinking about it. Like, there's a lot of CAD software, or there's some CAD software now for VR, like like Gravity Sketch, that uses the controllers. But I was thinking, like, yeah, of of whether it'd be interesting to use a mouse and keyboard. And I think there's still some potential there. I just kind of like slowed down that project a little bit at the moment, um, but I might jump back into it. But like, I really like the variety of being able to work on on my own projects at the moment. So I'm kind of like jumping between things. Um, I connected with uh, with some friends, Daish and, and Nick recently, and we, we tried using... Have you ever ridden those electric scooters? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we tried using Fiera on these electric scooters. It's like a ridiculous like idea, that. but uh, it's actually really fun. <laughs> like We might set up a, 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 something for... Uh, maybe for like Adelaide Fringe or something <laughs> using that, like this little demo. That'd be um, cool. Yeah, stuff like moving platforms like go-karts and things are actually they have a lot of potential to, to be really fun and with, with, you know, VR and AR headsets, like, uh, yeah, you can, you can really add a lot to them. Um, but, yeah, using just... pass-through so many... on that? Um, yeah, so initially, <laughs> I built a demo initially just using a VR world and it's really, like, it's really scary to be, like, riding a, riding a scooter and not knowing what's ahead of you. Like, you just don't have a sense of confidence and you don't feel, the, like, you feel little bumps and you don't know what you're riding over and stuff. But uh, with the pass-through on, like, the pass-through <laughs> actually makes a lot of difference for the scooter stuff, but, like, the interesting thing is that with a scooter, you, you have to balance, but with, like, a go-kart, you don't really have to balance, so it's, like, a little bit, it feels a little bit more safe on a, on a go-kart, um, but, yeah, riding around, um, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, pass-through is, it, like, it, it definitely could be something. I think if you have a very controlled environment, you probably don't actually need the pass-through, like, if you mm-hmm. know exactly where you are and, like where the walls are and everything, and you you kind of model that correctly. Like I think you can actually do it well, but, um, yeah. Like the the other thing is like the quest tracking volume. Like it, it's kind of it, it you're limited at some point on on how much the the quest can do inside-out tracking and how accurate that that is. So there's like tracking could be a problem in really large spaces. But uh, yeah, it's kind of just fun to play with this stuff and um, just just experimenting. As soon uh, as
0: you. Yeah. As soon as you said Go-Karts, I just immediately thought of like a VR Mario Kart, you know, yeah. an augmented reality Mario Kart. That would be awesome. I'd yeah, definitely, yeah. you know, yeah. play that. Yeah, I think that's
1: um, there's a lot of potential there for something really interesting. And I, like, I think a, lot of, uh, a couple of people around in different parts of the world have tried this already. Um, mm. I have seen I saw, saw one demo that uses uh, a big f on tracking system mm. and it tracks a Go-Kart around a Go-Kart track. And so you're riding around this ordinary track, but you're seeing kind of, all these kind of flames and stuff kicking up and that looks, like, pretty cool. That'd be awesome. And, um, yeah, and there's uh, there's another company, I think, in Belgium that have just... Uh, they have this little demo of, like, using inside-out tracking to, like, using a quest mm. and just riding around. I just saw this today and they're just, like, riding around this little kind of... They call it a crazy cart. It's like a go kart that can, like, turn on a dime almost. Like, you can do really tight turns and they're just riding around this little warehouse. So it's just That's fun to, to move around. Like, um, the fact that you can even just get up and walk around in a quest is cool, but, like... Being on, like, a skateboard or being on wheels is, like, it's kind of cool. Like, as long as you can do it safely and you know what's around, I think, yeah, there's a lot of potential there.
0: That's <laughs> awesome. That'd be so cool. I definitely want to, like, play some kind of Mario Kart VR. Yeah. Yeah, once once we have a demo set up,
1: I'll, uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. oh. really?
0: Love Boolean's exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um something we always like to kind of wrap an episode with is advice for um aspiring developers so i mean in cool. this case maybe we'll maybe we try to tailor it to like someone who's maybe looking to get into vr um i cool. guess a game developer like yeah what advice can you give
1: um yeah i think um just get a just get a piece of hardware and, and start playing with it like i think uh, get, get a quest and just start messing around um that's the that's the best place to start with with this stuff, I think. Um, and a lot of a lot of it is like keeping your motivation and keeping like like kind of tenacity. I think helps a lot. Like a lot of people will just like try something and then they'll just fail, so and then I'll just give up on it. But like if you can keep working on stuff and keep it like uh, and even if like the tenacity thing, it also means like you can kind of change the goal like the goalposts <laughs> if you get stuck cuz mm-hmm. like if you do get like like changing the goalpost to me is like you're still kind of working on something so it doesn't mean that like you have to just power through something that's just not working it, it just means that like you can kind of just shift things so that you can just keep moving um i think that's that's a very uh it's a very handy thing to be able to do like you can solve the problem that you're kind of up against or you can shift the goalposts to kind of work around the problem that you're up against um yeah that like i think it applies to a lot of things um in life so yeah I don't know yeah I think that's probably the, the best advice I can give
0: awesome and uh, where can people uh, find you or reach out to you
1: Um, I guess anywhere you can
0: just search for my name I think you can,
1: you can find me and just contact me I don't really have like a website or anything I got like a twitter that I just use for running stuff and uh, like a facebook and linkedin and whatever so yeah just feel free to just oh uh, and instagram as well so yeah just feel free to add me wherever I think
0: <laughs> amazing yeah, yeah thank, thank you for coming on it's been, it's been awesome
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. It's been yeah, it's been pretty fun.